Uh, on today's episode of the Narrow Road podcast, we have Tasha Walsh. Tasha, would you like to just introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do, how you do it and who you do it for, please? Yeah, um, thanks for having me on. Um, so I'm Tasha and I um, predominantly am a therapist uh, that's been working with children and young people and their families um, over the last eight years. And prior to that, um, I worked with adults um, and I worked in the IAPT pilot for Leeds for um, depression and anxiety um, as that was being piloted, um, which obviously is running across most cities now as well. Um, And I've recently just left my position within the school's services to go solo um, and uh, got my new little venture called Seeing and Her Therapy. Excellent, excellent. So what made you what made you go solo? Big step. <sighs> yeah, it's huge. But exciting and scary yeah. at the same time. Um a number of things. I think the type of job that I do um can sometimes have a shelf life. Um I think there's only so much that you can hear over a long period of time yeah. before it takes a, an impact on on your own well being. Um, and I think if you speak to a lot of therapists who work with children and young people in particular they would say the same Um, so I think I'd kind of got to that point where within the school services it's so intense um, and there's so many different things going on it it kind of it stops just becoming two people talking or two people playing or two people being creative and it becomes about everything else that's going on outside of the room um, and I think I've just got to a point where that started to really impact yeah. me and my yeah. family and take the enjoyment away from the job. Yeah. So I think at that point, you know, it's time for a change. Yeah, I think it's like, obviously, it's your job to to, to see things like that. But sometimes, you know, we don't always see it within the cells. And it's like um, for you to identify that obviously you know shows shows everyone that that's why you're good at what you do because you know you you sort of know what's taking you know what's taking your energy maybe what's giving you energy and such like that and you know so so sort of working for yourself then is it you know that exciting part now and you know you yeah I feel like the reins are off yeah Um, I think and I think that's what I'm finding exciting because obviously the the I'm still working with children and young people, so I could mm. sit there and go, well, I've just swapped one version for another. But it's it's not just the one-to-one therapy that takes its toll on you. It's everything else that goes with it. And there's a lot of restrictions when you work in schools, yeah. understandably so. Yeah. Um, and one of them is it's time limited. So right. you're working to a six to eight session model. Um, now, if you're working with children and young people that have got mild to moderate difficulties which is what the program was initially supposed to be six to eight sessions is fine but as thresholds in other services like cams go up mm. so does our threshold and we're expected to work with more complex need cases but we're still expected to work in the same time frame yeah yeah um, so working with very complex issues whether that be trauma or whether that be in and around any kind of social services cases or looked after children, domestic violence, that type of stuff. Six to eight sessions doesn't really cut it sometimes. Yeah. Did, did that did that make you sort of feel frustrated or how did it make you feel? Is that one of the reasons that you've really that's really drawn you away from? Yeah, I think it's you you want to do more. Like 
anybody that does this job is because you want to make a difference mm. and it's because you want to help people so when that support you want to offer is restricted in some way over time that can really wear you down because mm. you start to then question actually what am I doing am I really making a difference how much of a difference am I making um, and I think when I say about having a shelf life you talked about what depletes you and and what do you what can you put back in you know what are the gains and I think over time you realize the gains get less and less so they can't refresh you they yeah. can't give you back you know you might get the odd client that you might see a few years later that might be able to verbally say do you know what actually when I was in year eight you really really helped me and this is how I'm doing yeah. and you think brilliant that's why I did it yeah um and if you stay in it long enough you do get that but I think over time you realize that the, those gains get less and less mm. um and I think when you see the same issues coming through constantly yeah. so the, the, the children and the family's names might change but the issue mm. doesn't yeah that's when you question and go actually what difference are we making mm. you know you, you're firefighting all the time yes and yeah, actually yeah. I want to be able to have a better impact on people yeah. I want to be able to I want it so that in a few years time them issues aren't coming through all the time yeah, yeah, and we're firefighting yeah. them I want yeah. to be able to help put things in place that changes how in the systems that we work in yeah. we change the systems to enable things to be different yeah so you're sort of instead of you know containing things you want to be growing them you know sort of because if you constantly like feel like you're firefighting it is the, the contain it first don't then put it out and I suppose you want to be not containing but developing not the, yeah. the fire but the you know the the greenery afterwards shall we say yeah I think the, there's there's certain assumptions in whether you're working with adults or children and young people there are certain assumptions that that people will have and organizations will have um, understandably so and it's those assumptions that we have to start to change because if we don't things can't develop and grow as you say so for me if I'm working with a family and just because that family may have I don't know seven children in it mm. then there's, there's an assumption made about that family well yeah. they must be this this and this yeah. because they've got seven kids and then therefore that must be what the problem is rather than looking at the, the child that's being presented for example mm. and going okay that child's got these needs and that's got nothing to do with the you know the, the one of seven yes. that, that child's got their needs um you know and the same with I don't know like looked after children come with a, a certain set of needs and you look at those needs but then sometimes that's all people can see and they're not willing to look at anything else mm. yeah um and it just becomes over time frustrating. Yeah. Um, I think within organisations, you know, you've got things like neurodiversity now. How are the systems in organisations for people working for them who've got neurodiverse needs? Yeah. You know, have we put enough in place within, whether it's a small organisation or, say, a big organisation like the NHS, is there enough training in there with management mm. or with sort of groundwork staff that enables them to be more inclusive of neurodiverse people? That mm. there's assumptions made about who they are as well. Yeah. So, so is this where you feel like the reins are off and you can, you know, sort of take it in the direction that you want it to? Yeah, because you're not, 
you're not answerable to anybody. Yeah. Um, you know, I've worked a long time having not just a clinical lead or um, an immediate manager that works on the team that I'm working mm. in, um, or I've got head teachers that I'm answerable to that want you to be a certain way or they yeah. want you to just deal with a certain child in a certain way. You know, the, the old, old age thing of fix them. Yes. And kind yeah. of go, mm, there's nothing really there to fix. Yeah. You know, we're supportive, yeah. not fixing. Yeah. yeah. Um, you're constantly meeting the needs of other people yeah. in the systems around you. Yeah, yeah. And for me, as a therapist, what I've always held central is that the client, no matter the age of them, mm. the client is what's important. Yeah. We hold the client central. Everything we do is to support, enable, and empower mm. Mm. that client. If you're constantly thinking about everybody else's yeah. needs, yeah. how are you doing that for the client yeah, yeah, that it takes yeah. that away? Yeah, totally agree. They've all got their, if everyone's sort of, you know, sort of in your ear, this, 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 it can remove the the actual goal of that person that's that's in front of you, maybe, and you're yeah. conscious of what's everyone, well, you know, the head team, got this person saying this, this person's got that, you know, requirement, that person's got that requirement, this person, but ultimately it's that, the client that the number one requirement should be led down oh absolutely absolutely you know and sometimes that means you're advocating for them as well as being the therapist mm. um, and I think maybe a little bit more that's done with children and young people or maybe with neurodiverse people that you may become more of an advocate as well yeah. you know where you start to fight their corner yes um so that comes into it and again obviously if you're part of an organization that um, is is having to maintain contracts and things like that. Yeah, that yeah. becomes a challenge because yeah. obviously they don't want you to be doing that either, understandably so. So I kind of feel like going out on my own, the things that I feel my strengths are in, yeah. I can do now. Yeah, yeah, I can yeah. Work a bit longer term with a client. I can hold them central. If I need to help advocate for them with them. I can do that and not have to worry about who's going to say what. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think the only downside to maybe not being in the schools is there's obviously amazing staff in schools. Yeah. And when you're in there, you can have them one-to-one conversations with heads of year or um, other sort of pastoral staff that the work you do becomes more um, cohesive. You know, mm. you, you suggest something to them, they do that in classrooms yeah. or they work with that. So I think that's the only bit that I'm going to find a bit of a challenge doing it this way is not being able to maybe have them um, sort of conversations with staff yes. in schools freely. Yeah. So when you talk about neurodiversity, could you give us some examples of, of, yeah. of what it is or, or break it down for us? So neurodiversity is the umbrella term for um, sort of anybody that is ADHD, autistic, um, yeah. but also... Uh, dyslexia, dyspraxia comes right. under that umbrella. Right, okay. uh, Tourette syndrome comes under that umbrella. Um, so it basically just, in simple terms, people's brains are just wired a little bit differently. Yeah. yeah. Um, and therefore, they see the world in a different way. Yeah. Um, which part of what I'm trying to do with with my business is is to help people embrace that. Yeah. Break down again barriers that are in and around um, yeah. anybody that's neurodiverse yeah. in terms of 
how they view themselves and helping them to embrace it when they're diagnosed yeah. and also you know I did some training a long time ago and it's it stuck in my head and it was always why do we expect them to fit into our world actually yeah. we should be fitting yeah. into their world yeah is it like then a matter of sort of you know getting people that aren't neurodiverse to accept the neurodiversity as well that must be a, you know it's difficult cause, you know obviously you're dealing with everyone there you know yeah. the majority but it, it's like breaking down barriers with with non-neurodiverse people to understand yeah. the, the challenges yeah. and the things that yeah. the neurodiverse people have absolutely um so when we're looking at sort of neurodiverse versus non-atypical which would be me and you um you know the majority of people in the population are neurotypical so of course you know it, it's it's the majority um and they fit into a diverse minority yeah um so for me that should be looked at and viewed at as we would any minority group mm. yeah um and there are challenges and obstacles constantly in the way um to allow neurodiverse people to flourish and reach their potential mm. and that starts for me in school you know the the battles that people face to get their child diagnosed now all the research and evidence says the earlier somebody gets a diagnosis mm. the earlier we can put um, interventions in place whether that's therapeutic or behavioral if you like um, to help them children and young people to overcome the impairments that come with neurodiversity yeah. to then help them later in life have as as normal in, yeah. in sort of high food as they can but actually for whatever reason I think probably fear more than anything schools are really reluctant I would say more in primary than in secondary schools mm. but reluctant to acknowledge or accept that somebody might have a neurodiversity yeah, yeah. why do you think that is but I think there's I think there's a fear and a lack of training I yeah. think the fear is that if a child gets a, a diagnosis of autism for example or ADHD that the amount of things they're going to have to put in place so the reasonable adjustments that might need yeah. to be put into place are going to be huge and expensive and it's going to take lots of time and and it, it isn't really you know in terms of ADHD simple adjustments in class can make all the difference yeah. and then adjustments are really useful for neurotypical children yeah. as well yeah, yeah um, so if that then stops behavioral outbursts that then disrupts a class mm. and another member of staff has to come in and take that child out yeah. and then something yeah. might go on in the corridor yeah. and then it's just up to chaos yeah if, you know, rather than that being seen as that child has behaviour issues, if we look a little bit closer, and obviously it's not that for all children, but if we look a little bit closer and, and be open to the idea there could mm. be a neurodiversity there, then actually in the long run, it's better for that school yeah. because they can put things in place, structures in place, strategies in place that help that child to, to learn, which is yeah. the overall objective. But to feel calmer, included, yeah. build their social skills, so that then when they move into high school, 
it's a little bit more of a seamless transition. Yeah, yeah. Um, but equally, it doesn't have the school in chaos, staff running around yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Um, that's, what, that's what I thought. I thought, surely it's better for the school to embrace that, you know, if diagnosis is the right term, mm-hmm. you know. And then they know, don't they? They can put things yeah. in place to, to make it better for that child, the, the class, the teachers, everyone around. So it, it doesn't make sense to me to sort of, you know, just bury your head in the sand and just put it down to a behavioural issue. It's better to know, isn't it, I think? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think, look, not every school's like that. I've been in some really fantastic schools, but there are other schools that do want to bury their heads in the sand. You know, I I remember going into one school um, right at the beginning of of my work and was met with the, um, it always makes me laugh, with the, the... person saying to me um we are a very affluent school so we don't have any issues here that we would need your counseling for right right one it's not a massively affluent school in a massively affluent area anyway but two you know my response to that was all right so uh wealthy people um don't have abuse and violence in the family or or what have you Mm. we we don't have that um in the eight years or so that that was on my area I had one counselling case it's, in eight years well money it doesn't matter how much money you've got does it you know money you know it's not sort of mental health or neurodiversity it isn't you know it's not it's not that choose. it doesn't choose does it you know well that that's a nice area we'll, we'll go somewhere else it's a ridiculous yeah. thing to think or say is that I know and you know that like I said one counselling case in eight mm. years there where other schools you know, I was in every week, you know, yeah, three or four yeah, clients yeah. every week there. Um, and does that go down to the stigma, though? Sorry to interrupt, but does that go down to, like, the stigma and that school who said that to you, to me, straight away is, oh, you know, we're better than that. That's what it, that's how that came across I to me. I think so. Yeah. I think so. And that, to me, isn't about the staff in that school. It's not about the pastoral teams. It's not about the teachers, because when you talk to them they they get it they see it they want the support they want the help it comes to the higher ups and depends on who you have higher up yes i know some schools that are very uh well-being and mental health orientated and have a whole team dedicated to it and fantastic and actually when you see the work that they do versus some other schools yeah you can quite clearly see the evidence of, of, yeah. of what they're doing. Um, you know, and what happens is then the cases that come to me have had support and intervention already mm. and they've tried everything they can. And then that becomes a case that is appropriate to work with. Um, and they will have supported the family and, ha- you know, and they'll have done a lot. Mm. And by the time that family comes to me, there's, there's no anger or animosity. It's, it's, you know school have been fantastic yeah. we've tried everything um so now we're with you and they're really engaged and they want the help um and they're the cases that seem to be more successful yeah. when they've had that support from the school yeah. yeah versus cases from say some of these other types of schools by the time the parent gets to me they're angry the relationship with school's yeah. broken down yeah. um they're resistant to me you know then I, yeah. so part of my work is having to bring them back around to the idea that we can help them yeah yeah uh, which takes time away from what we should be doing yeah then you kind of become that advocate where you're going into school saying right can we just do this or this yeah they're resistant because 
I don't know, that parent slagged them off on Facebook, yeah, yeah, wrote a letter yeah. in, so they don't want to do it. And, and that's when it becomes a challenge. Yeah, I can imagine. And you think, yeah. how can we change things when when school and parent might not even communicate no, anymore? No, no. That's it. I think that's the key, isn't it? If, if, if like, they're not communicating and, and it's, it's easy for you know, for, for, for me to sit here and say this is what everyone should be doing. And and it, it just to me seems a bit, I, I can't believe that, you know, you, you mentioned then earlier that some schools are brilliant, uh, you know, better than others with mental health support and some aren't. And, and why is that? Is it down to money? Is it down to what? what re- I can't understand that. It's like saying some school, some schools are better at maths than others. Surely yeah. it's it should be across the they should all be do, you know doing that any, yeah. any reasons why that might happen I think it's about whoever's in charge and what their view of mental health is you know if you've got a head at yeah. the top yeah. who thinks mental health is utter rubbish yeah yeah then what ethos are they going to have yeah. through the school yeah. um, and then they tend to you know employ people in the senior leadership team that, that have a similar, similar view to them yeah because yeah. that's what works yeah. you know that's what makes them a team is they're all singing from the same hymn sheet so I think you know it really massively depends on who's at the top of the top mm. of the chain um I think it is changing I can, there are massive changes since I started nine, eight nine years ago more schools are now moving towards the way of mental health yeah I think with what's happened in the last 12 months there will be a massive emphasis on it now um, whether schools want it or not and yeah. um, you know there's there's a lot of funding coming in to um, support schools with with children's mental health mm. um, so I think you know if one good thing that comes out of the pandemic is this big push and awareness around children's mental health now yeah yeah, I can understand what you mean. Like, I suppose, like, it's a bit of a cliche, but the more old school, <laughs> you know, heads and things. Back in day as well, I suppose, mental health was, we all, everyone had it, but it wasn't a thing, was it? It was just, I'll oh, get on with it, you know. Mm-hmm. Even going back, I suppose, you know, people came back from Second World War and were just pushed straight back into civilian life, weren't they? We know, yeah. and I suppose, that even recent wars have done. So I think when when people are still of the, you know, older type older school type of thinking mm. they, they, they don't see you know that mental health is to me the, the first thing anyone should be should be getting right you know you've yeah. never mind maths and english and it's easy me saying it but you know ma- maths yeah, and english are nothing other compared to what you what's, what's absolutely you, you know and there's the argument isn't it whether you know within the school system is it um well-being or is it academics mm. well actually without well-being the academics aren't going to happen. We know that if a child is anxious, has suffered trauma, has another barrier like neurodiversity, their ability to learn yeah. is hindered. Mm. So ultimately, that affects the school's rating when it comes to exams. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, so I totally agree. It has to be a trade-off. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, again... Okay, do we lose a bit of this and we'll have more of this? Yeah, yeah. Do you think that? I think they're under such pressure as well, though, to get the grades that it's all a bit short-term thinking, you know, where, where like you say, if they're just a bit a bit of pain to start with, yeah. that would bear more fruit, wouldn't it, I think, certainly, yeah. for, for, for the, the pupils, the staff, everyone, you know, everyone would yeah. be a, a better, like any business or any place, yeah. the, more, the, more, the, the better your mental well-being is of everyone that's in that 
workplace, institution, business, mm-hmm. the better the whole entity is, isn't it? Yeah. And I think the well-being side of it, whether it's schools or, like, say, businesses, but, in, if, you know, we were talking about schools then, the, the well-being side of it isn't just about the children. It is about the staff, you know. Mm-hmm. The staff need to be supported, if, you know, and that ethos then runs through that school will mm. support the staff the staff yeah. support the kids um and actually you know we have to remember that teachers usually will be the first point of call for a child to make a disclosure right. so if something's happened at home or you know there's been an incident mm. whether that child has been hurt themselves the teacher will either know it's the bruises yeah or the child will go and tell the teacher what's happened yeah. if they've got a good relationship. So that teacher then, they can't unhear that. Yeah. That that's there and they also know then that they're involved in whatever comes next. Yeah. That takes a huge amount of um emotional mm. uh, feeling from them. You yeah, know, it, energy. it's that mm. energy, it's draining. I don't get any kind of supervision for that and you know the pastoral teams their supervision might be a case supervision it might be how many cases have you got and what are you doing and what's the safeguard but it's very rare rarely coming from a clinical point of view of okay you've got x amount of cases in your caseload and three of them are abuse victims what's that like for you hearing that how's that impacting you how do we help you with that yeah. So that's something else I want to be able to with the, with the business that I'm doing. I'm I'm currently doing my super, clinical supervision training. Is once I'm qualified to be able to offer that as a support in schools and say, yeah. look, clinical supervision isn't just for therapists. It's for yeah. anybody that's having to work in a helping profession that is going to be impacted mm. emotionally and mentally mm. by the work that they they do. Mm. Um, because ultimately, again, people have tolerance and a, and a level that they get to before they burn out yeah 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 this, so this is why it, this yeah. is why maybe a lot of teachers are, are, are away with stress and things like that because they're seeing so many things through their through their children and no one's actually or not no one but very few of them are getting the as you said the the, the supervision the support of that it's just like you know you're a teacher crack on but it's not just about, I suppose, writing numbers on a whiteboard, is it? It's all the emotional, you know, not baggage, it's just wrong term, but, you know, all the emotional energy that you have to, you know, expend yeah. and see in your pupils, you know, with yeah. their mental health or their, their things have got at home. So what do you think we can, what what do you think can be done then to improve access? I know that's the thing that you're very, you know, very passionate about. What, what could be done to improve yeah. access to, to, to mental health support and things? I think it's... Um... You know, schools being aware that the there could be um, things that they can tap into in terms of, um, you know, like yourself with within you, you know, if 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 the if schools can buy into something like that, if they can allocate some of their mental health funding towards allowing um, teachers and pastoral staff mm. to either access uh, supervision or actually if something quite bad happens within their lives, some kind of therapy, mm. um, it's it's having money put aside to be able to give them that. And yeah. a lot of schools probably do for the therapeutic side, not necessarily the supervision side. Yeah. But I think, um, you know, one of the big barriers to that, which, you know, we'll keep coming back to as the topic really of the barriers is, it's time off for it. 
And yeah. I think what you're looking at doing with the digital platform mm. will um, remove some of them barriers yeah. for, for not just schools, but other organisations where, yeah. okay, you know, we can't let you go three hours early to make sure you drive back yes. the yeah. city to get to your appointment. But actually, you know, you can have an extended lunch break and we'll give you a private room where you can access a yeah. computer. Yeah. yeah. Um, or, you know, if someone really wants face to face, we'll let you go an hour yeah. earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and them not be financially sort of punished for yeah. that. Yeah. It's a bit like dealing with the, the cause and not the symptoms, I suppose, isn't it? You know, getting there yeah. first and, and as you said, just to me, it's common sense, but common sense ain't common. And I don't run a school, so I'm not saying it's easy, but I totally get you where a lot of it's time, it's time and resource, isn't it? You know, yeah, and having that. And, 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 but if if that's not offered to them, they're just going to burn out, aren't they? Which, which a, lot of, yeah. a lot of teachers are, a lot of people that, you know, not just teachers, but staff, as you said, pastoral care, they, they are burning out. So surely it's mm-hmm. better to deal with, you know, the cause before it yeah. becomes a symptom so so is it is it a matter of sort of maybe educating you know I'm not trying to sort of aim this at head teachers or whatever but ultimately you know it, it's educating yeah. the, the the people that made the decisions on on how this will benefit mm-hmm. them and ultimately their pupils yeah well I think you know there's there's a lot of schools now are part of multi-academy trusts mm. so the heads are just the head of their school but they will follow a set of rules that's from the multi-academy yeah. you know so you'll have a ceo type if you yes. like at the top yeah. of the academy chain um so ultimately i think it goes to them as part of their their staff welfare their policies and procedures that it becomes very clear that there are routes available if their mm. staff need some support yeah um and that that is filtered all the way down because you know, let's be honest as well, especially right now, heads are under increasing pressure mm. and they're having to do things that they've never even done. You know, we're hearing about uh, almost like what test sites now in yeah, yeah. car parks or schools and staff having to give COVID tests. Mm. They're not medical professions, but yeah. the logistics of that are coming down onto SLT. Yeah. Yeah. Plus the parents that either are nervous anxious don't want it whatever they've got so much to contend yeah, with yeah, and have yeah. done for 12 months so I'm sure they will all be in need yeah, of yeah. some support yes. mm. um you know and you'll know yourself that most organizations now will have some kind of what they call the employee assisted program yes. EAP mm. which is usually about six sessions of therapy mm. to, a, to an employee if that enables them to overcome whatever might be stressing them out so they're not off on long-term sick yeah um you know and that's quite common now and lots of companies sign up to that kind of program I think some schools are starting to but again it hasn't been seen as a business in that sense yeah 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 but more and more they are becoming like businesses so they should have that um access to to therapy I guess and supervision yeah I think that supervision is a massive point that's come across that that I think is really something that's going to come out in the the next certainly 12 months. I think people understanding that these teachers and, and pastoral care staff do need that, you know, supervision. But I think just to reiterate what you said, they're under immense pressure. They've got loads on and they're doing it. They're doing an amazing job aren't oh, they? Under, under the circumstances that they're under. From from the from you know the top to the bottom, this, these schools are doing amazing with the what they're having to put up with at the minute. 
Um, but sort of just 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 from from a professional outwards, have you got any tips to 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 anyone about how to help uh, with a, a neurodiverse individual, a neurodiverse child, anything that that could help? The, the the non neurodiverse people is that the correct term to neurotypical neuro neurotypical so to help neurotypical people understand neurodiverse individuals have you got any sort of tips that we could you know follow look out for undertake yeah I think um, you know back in the day if we're talking about autism you will have been in school with people and gone oh they're a bit weird or a bit quirky or a bit you know, and that was kind of the labels that were given yeah. to people. Um, and I think, look, some, you know, I'm working with, with a young lad at the moment and he is embracing the fact that he's he calls himself weird. And he likes the fact because in his mind, he goes, well, the world would be really boring. Yeah, if totally, we were all the totally same. agree. Yeah. You know, so that's part of that embracing. So for me, as a neurotypical person who's been learning around this and you know I've spoke to you before about my son has ADHD yeah. so that's where my passions come from yeah. um you know and the barriers that we face to get his diagnosis and the barriers we still face now um but the research I've done the reading I've done the training I've done is always about embracing who they are Yes, there will be impairments and it's understanding that the impairments are not because they're bad kids, naughty kids, angry kids. You know, the amount of times I hear anger issues, even attributed to adults that are mm. neurodiverse. Yeah. It's it's taking the time to to understand what their needs and impairments are because everybody's different again. Yeah. You know, yeah. we call it a spectrum for a yes. reason. Yeah, yeah. their their needs are always differing if you meet one autistic person you've met one autistic person yeah 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 they're not you can't have identical needs they might have certain traits that are the same but if you're working with someone in your organization that is autistic or adhd then it's taking the time to speak to them and to understand um what what their difficulties are yeah it's taking the time to read up a little bit um on what autistic traits might be so for instance autistic people uh, don't get sarcasm they don't understand it you know the way their brain works is that they hear something and they take it literally right so you know there's no sort of imagination around what they're saying the sarcasm whatever you say is yeah yeah. they will take it yeah yeah what you say is what you mean basically absolutely yeah so that can come across as rude offish you know yeah um blunt yeah you know so and it's not you know um so it's understanding that it's understanding they might um have sensory issues so therefore too much noise can be overwhelming and overstimulating um you know for organizations it's it's having that kind of policy in place that takes into account those needs Mm. um you know, and I think a lot of organisations are getting better at that and putting policies in place. And yeah. there's a uh, there's a an organisation called Embracing Complexity. They do a lot of research into neurodiversity and they write reports um, on on data they collect around um, sort of neurodiversity in the workplace and give recommendations. Yeah. Excellent. Um, 
so that's a good one for any organization and any company listening Brilliant. to go to embracing complexities website um and have a look at the um documents they have on oh, there as a resource brilliant. that can help you form how your business will run oh, but we'll put a, i'll put a link in the after this you know yeah. when, when, when we've published the podcast i'll put a link in in there yeah. to that and things yeah i'll send i can send you all of that as well so you've got the links. Yeah. there's a few there's yeah. a couple of other um, places that do things like that um so i think you know as a as an organization and, and working with people that's that's what we can do is just yeah. talk to them um and understand their needs and be inclusive of them a lot of autistic people desperate for connection yeah they want to connect they want to get on with people it's their self-esteem that stops that yeah it's that barrier for them yeah. of, of people you know they'll have heard messages all their life that they're weird or they're this yeah. or that yeah so it's for us to go do you know what let's let's include them let's understand yeah, yeah. Them. let's yeah. bring them in um i think where children are concerned and young people it's again it's education and training um to staff in schools, uh, to listen to parents when mm. they are wondering if there could be something and not dismiss them. Yeah. It's letting them be heard. Again, it might be parent training with them um, in terms of how do we help you to think mm. about a diagnosis might mean, uh, what are you wanting, yeah. what are you hoping for by a diagnosis. Um, but ultimately, it's understanding the traits and yeah. then how can we make some adjustments to include them children yeah. again, uh, to for again their self-esteem and their confidence to not be continually mm. not. And I think the most important part of that as well is educating the children, the other children, the non-autistic yes. children. Yes. Yeah. On on neurodiversity, I think that is the biggest thing because most of the issues not just come from. Um, not being able to learn in classrooms, it, it's friendship issues. Yeah. You know, that child might be seen as really immature or uh, really angry or the naughty yeah. kid and yeah. like, stay away from them. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what I've seen though, as, as well as maybe, you know, the education side. Yeah. I, I've seen um, the parents of the neurotypical children not understanding neurodiverse children and saying things like, I'll just stay away from them. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I'm not saying, you know, that, that, that the neurotypical parent is wrong, because, again, it's all down to understanding and, and knowledge and, and, and being educated on it. And I think that's where schools are in such a difficult position, because it's like, well, we have to educate everyone on neurodiversity. And, and, and that's I've seen that with certainly, like I said, parents that have gone, oh, well, just... He's a naughty boy. Just, just, just stay away from him. And you, mm-hmm. and they think, no, he's not. I, I, I know he's not by what the child's saying. You can see that it's, it's not a, a behavioural issue per se. It's a well, as, as I would before this, I didn't use the term neurodiversity. I'd used he's on the spectrum, but now he's a neurodiverse child. And, and sort of what you've said, Tasha, has been fantastic for me certainly because I've learned, you know, mm-hmm. the terminology. But it's also given me a fresh insight onto. In, in, onto new, into neurodiverse people and hopefully you know giving me a bit of a something to think about moving forward yeah. as well because I think it's too easy for 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 neurotypical people to to, to judge we all judge don't we and it's sort of thing yeah, you see someone and yeah. you judge them good bad indifferent like he's going back to what you said about for example all oh, the seven other kids it must be 
and we all people always label yeah. everyone and each other don't they and, and I think it's a it's teach it's taught me to not just jump into yeah. a, a, and put a, a, a child in a in, in a in a certain box and you know absolutely or even you know it's the same with adults you yeah. know it, yeah. it's exactly the same and I think the other thing that I really want to try and push for in in everything that I do in terms of my business and I think I mentioned to you uh, last week I was doing my first podcast with somebody yeah. which I've yeah. done um and that's going to come out next week because next week is um neurodiverse celebration week oh is it so, oh, fantastic. yeah so it's going to come out as a part of my contribution to neurodiverse Brilliant. celebration week so that's with um, somebody that I know who's got ADHD who is a massively successful kickboxing coach in this country and yes has, uh, yeah. done some wild challenges shall we say like um pulled a plane for the um uh, distance of a marathon and things like that um yeah <laughs> yeah he's got another challenge coming up in the summer which is is probably even more bonkers but one of the things we me and him spoke about and one of the things I want to push because I see it in my own son is what we call their superpowers we focus yeah. on the impairments or the negatives yeah. of being more diverse but actually there's so much that is wonderful yeah. you know they're diverse for a reason yeah yeah um you know I feel like my best work has been with neurodiverse children mm. I find it energizing I find it exciting I think they're amazing they all come with something different superpower wise yeah. yeah yeah um and I want to be able to help people to see the positive in that yeah. um so it's about it you know embracing um those diversities and going but I think you know it's it's helping them to recognize their superpowers and embrace themselves and then if they can they can be proud to talk about it in public rather than feeling ashamed about it um which I think is a big thing in neurodiverse people there's almost this shame because actually there will have been struggles as a child and a young person they will have had to overcome so many obstacles Mm. and actually their resilience is so hard that we can all learn something from that yeah and to get to where they want to be will take an awful amount of work from them and a lot of support around them. But, you know, let's be honest. If I th- I personally think, and there's research around it, that neurodiversity is evolutionary. That evolution has said that we need to have neurodiverse people because we need people that can think outside the box yeah. to solve problems in the world that will yeah. continue to come up. Yeah. So whether that, you know, you look at the people that, known to be autistic like Einstein and people like that if they weren't autistic we wouldn't have the inventions we have we wouldn't have cures to disease you know they're they've become hyper focused on one thing and they don't give up until it's done and successful neurotypical people are easily diverted away from the path yeah yeah by their phone going to the pub cinema socializing yeah all the, you know, all that stuff. A neurodiverse person will focus and focus and focus until that thing's yeah. done. Yeah. And we need people like that, and we should be singing about them from yeah. rooftops. Yeah. We should be. For me, we should be rooting them out. We should be. You yeah. know, they're the people that are going to change the world. Like you said, the, the, you know, the, there's people that have that have changed the world. And and I think to do anything of 
significance, you've got to have that focus, haven't you? And I think yeah. it's too easy for, for most of us. You know, it's like, oh, I'll start that. Oh, then I'll start that. And then I'll do that. And then they wonder why they've not achieved what they want to achieve. Mm. It's because they don't have that, you know, razor-like focus. And and everything I read about successful people, you know, whatever it is, whatever term of success that is, they've all got that one thing of um, that that, that, like laser-like focus whether yeah. they are neurodiverse or neurotypical, there's one theme that runs through them all. And I think we should be weeding them out sounds a bit odd, but, you know, we should be going out and actively, you know, finding that these people yeah. that will change yeah. society, you know, communities, the way we live, the way we work. And I think that's where neurotypical people can see them as a bit weird. Well, he's it's, it's like that. It just and 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 I think well yeah that that's how you're successful you know yeah. you you don't it's like a dog chasing a squiddle you know dog yeah. chasing a squiddle it's off and that's what a lot of people are like out the way if that yeah. dog's just focused on the task not yeah. saying the people are dogs but you know what I mean as an example yeah we, we are too easily distracted and a lot Absolutely. of it is through mobile phones and social media and yeah and, and at that point then who who's who's the weird one yeah. exactly. we, we're moving away from our social norms of social yeah. interaction to be on our phones yeah. so. Yeah. Actually, who you know, for me, I'm going. Actually, we should be learning now. Yeah. Um, but I know who is it that's in charge of like MI5 and MI6 down in London, that big department. Yeah. They actively advertise for neurodiverse people. Right. Because obviously, within that industry, they need that laser focus. Analytical skills. Yeah. Yeah. So their recruitment drive. It's amazing. They, you know, so I think that's again something we could all learn from but I think that if we can if we can overcome some of our assumptions about Mm. people if we can put training into schools from an early age of the staff as well as other children if we can not be afraid anymore of of children getting a diagnosis get these early diagnoses let's get them the support they need because they will need support get the therapy in there or let's get them with strategies to help them manage their impairments let's build the confidence let's celebrate them let's build the mm. esteem and then as they move into adulthood you know a lot of the other mental health issues will start to drop as well you know yeah. the burden on the nhs will drop because it's really well known that there are what we call co-occurring comorbidities or disorders that come with neurodiversity whether that's depression anxiety OCD um you know and and other issues like that but like in any neurotypical person they've got something underlying yeah so when that's a co-occurring disorder with neurodiversity usually because their issues in childhood around their neurodiversity weren't recognized and it's chipped away at them yeah yeah yeah, you can understand. You know, so, yeah. yeah, so if we do all of that, I'm not saying that's going to be the same for everyone, but the earlier we can support families and the earlier we can support yeah. young people yeah. and the earlier we can support schools with them young people, then through their life, those possibilities of anxiety and depression yeah. will hopefully lessen or not be as intense. Yeah, well, it's a foundation, isn't it? And foundations always begin at the start. And if we're yeah. doing it in schools, then that's the start of that young person's life and career so we build the foundations as you've said and then they won't hopefully grow into adults who are living all the things have been told by society who doesn't understand them and and like you say if 
if if we can celebrate neurodiversity, and I think it's down to you know maybe the the the, the people that that are, that are more neurodiverse coming forward, and it, you know it, it, you know it's like when 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 sort of sports people or movie stars talk about their mental health, it helps everyone, doesn't it, yeah. to think that's not just it's not just yeah. me then. So if neurodiverse people are coming out, I think. Was Alan Turing neurodiverse, the guy that cracked the enigma, yeah? Yeah, that he was autistic. Yeah. But even, you know, you look at modern day things at the moment, I do a lot of this with my son because I want my son to embrace his ADHD. I want him to see his superpower and I want him to have a future that he's uh, excited about and proud of who he is. You know, so I do a lot with him in terms of showing him other people with ADHD. So you know, Justin Bieber's ADHD, oh. Will I Am's ADHD. Um, you look at Simone Biles, you know, the, um, what, 18 gold medal Olympic gymnastic champion in right. America. She's got ADHD. So, you know, some of it is going, look at these amazing yeah. people. Yeah. That actually, unless you knew, you no. wouldn't know. No, no, exactly, yeah. So look at what they've done, and they're successful probably because they've got ADHD, yeah. and that's their thing. Yeah. And they've gone, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Um. You know, it's always for me finding that niche. Yeah. What is their niche? What yeah. is their thing? Mm. You know. And I think the other way we can support schools is, you know, a curriculum for some children. The normal curriculum isn't going to work. Mm. You know let's find what they're good at and let's tailor that curriculum to them mm. you know for, you know i know with my son you know to, anything that's too much writing too much reading mm. he, he can't deal with yeah he's, he's, he can hear it in his audio but actually there are other things that he's brilliant at i'd rather him have six seven subjects that he focuses on yeah think yeah. now with nine or ten gcses yeah. and he might fail half of them I'd rather have a smaller set of subjects yeah. that you can give everything to and pass all of them. Yeah. But them subjects that are relevant to his to his skill set and his abilities. Yeah. And like this is the, the I'm just the I think that classic line, if you judge a fish on its ability to climb a tree, it's gonna be a failure. I think I said that I only said that probably last week to someone, but it's showing me when we're discussing things like this, how society is set to judge people on the norms. And there's no such thing, is there? No, no. You know. And then we are then setting these kids up to fail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It goes back to, okay, well, let's chip away at their self-esteem a little yeah. bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you didn't get a B in maths. You didn't get a C in this. You didn't do this. You didn't do this. Instead of saying, yeah. well, this isn't what you're good at. You're good yeah. at. Well, you're an incredible chef mm. or a baker yeah. or an artist yeah. or actually your skills lie verbally yeah. and you could be the most amazing salesperson. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I saw that at school so much that uh, when, when I were at school, it was just like literally, I remember once I was in sixth form and, and like um, the, the the head of the six at the time sort of came into the assembly and said, right, today, anyone, want, anyone that wants to go to university, stay back and we're going to talk you through it. Anyone that don't, you can go home. And I were like, oh, no, anyone that wants a job, you can go home. And they were like, hey, so they're helping these people that go to university. What are people that don't? It was like, oh, get yourself off, take afternoon off. And, I, and even back then, I thought, that's not right. It, it just, it, and, and, you know, I look back at the school I went to and 
I had some fabulous, great teachers. But what I mean by great teachers, great teachers of life. Yeah. You know, they, they, they were fantastic. But the school itself, knowing what I know now, and even back then I thought someone went right, we're just, I suppose it were, they're all the curriculum to follow. But yeah, they were just, absolutely. they judged all the kids on whether you were going to get A's, B's and C's. And, yeah. you know, I look back now and, you know, all the people that, well, you know, they're, 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 you know, they're mm. not, not where others are yeah. in their lives, you know, and because they've yeah. been judged on grades and exams. How, how, how good are you at remembering stuff to write it down at the end of the year? Exactly. That's, and that's not life, is it? Bonkers. That's not life. It's, it, it's totally, it, totally wrong. You look at a lot of great businessmen there and they'll all tell you that they dropped out of school at 14, 15 years of age. But actually, again, the best entrepreneurs generally have ADHD because they come up with um, constant ideas for businesses and constantly working on them and evolving on them. And, um, you know, it's that creative side, isn't it? Of Okay, what's the next challenge? What's the next thing? So many um, of them I've read have said, oh, I'm dyslexic. So many books I've read, and uh, there's that yeah. many that I can't remember. But honestly, literally, they've all said, I'm dyslexic. I'm dis-. So many, you know, and yeah. they say, I can't, I can't, you know, I struggle to write things down, but they're ultra successful in what they do. Absolutely. And it just shows that it, 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 can't, it shouldn't stop you, should it? But it's society, yeah. I think, that, uh, that is. I think the- so. I think there's like, it's how do you, how do you find a way in to access the learning for that? person because yeah. this can happen in colleges and unis and people going back as mature students if we understand that they've got something like dyslexia or adhd or autism what it is is about understanding again their impairment their needs and how did the how do we overcome that yeah. as a barrier yeah so for my son for example french when we go on holiday he picks up languages you know he will still say a couple of things uh, in Thai. We went to Thailand like three years ago. Yeah. So he's got a bit of a natural talent. If he listens, listens to something, he can get it. Yeah. So he's doing French at school, getting really low marks in vocab tests because it's on a sheet of paper. You read it, you cover it up, you write it, you check it. Too many processes for mm. him. Yeah. So I emailed school and said, is there any way this vocab can be put onto an audio that he can put in his ears? Yeah. And as he hears it, he repeats it. Yep, we've got this platform we can do it on. Did it. Two minutes. So where it might have took half an hour for him to do yeah. that, this is two minutes of listening to this yeah. 20 words. Sesco's went up. Brilliant. It's fantastic that school did that as well. And uh, yeah. Brilliant. I've got to say his school are really, really good in terms of neurodiversity. Yeah. I'm very lucky he goes there. Yeah. Do you want to give him a shout um, out? Can we say all there? Uh, yeah, the Redillion Academy. Um, and they have a specific um, person called Mr Naomi, who's amazing, um, who is for the neurodiverse children. So he works mainly with ADHD and autism and he's fantastic. And he's mm-hmm. been a lifesaver through this, this lockdown, I've got to say. But they're really open to listening. Um, so when I emailed him and said, look, I think if you can do it on audio, it might help yeah. him. Yeah. It did. So now we're kind of going, okay, how can we use that in other subjects now that can help it? Yeah, fantastic. Um, And I think teachers now in training, I think there's a big part of their training now is on SEN needs and understanding it. So again, I'm thinking we're on the right path. Yes, yeah. Hopefully things will be changing. Yeah, yeah. But if I can do anything else to push that, then obviously I'm going to do what I can. 
So, so can you just remind us what, what next week is? Because we'll put this out next week as the first yeah. one in our mental health series as part of yeah. the, what week is it again, sorry? So it's Neurodiverse Celebration Week. Fantastic. So um, I'm putting my podcast out to, to do that. And to be fair, it's, it's a one-man band. It's a young lady who's got uh, autism and some other neurodiversities yeah. who's decided to do this for herself. And Brilliant. she's got loads of people on board. She's done great, so I'll send you the link to that. Yeah, and I'll put that in. I'll link it to the the, the sort of text in this podcast as well, Tasha. So, well, Tasha, thank you so, so much. It's been really enlightening, and I've learnt loads. And I think if I've learnt loads, someone as, as, you know, simple at learning as I am, it's, it's, it'll be easy for everyone else who are a lot more intelligent than me because it's just, it, it has just opened my eyes just to the, that, that one term, neurodiverse. And when you think yeah. about it, it just opens up your thinking as to what neurodiverse people are. It is. Yeah. And it, Absolutely. It, it is. It, and it's a, it's a great term. And thanks for sharing that. And it's something okay. that you'll push. So, yeah, definitely. Because I think where the digital platform will be brilliant for neurodiversity is for them, neurodiverse people who have social anxiety, who can't get out and will access it through a digital platform. Yeah. You are overcoming another barrier for them people by doing what you're doing which is amazing well it's like you said Tasha like you know you've met one neurodiverse person you've met one neurodiverse person and that again that really struck a chord with me and I think that's something that as people listen to this that will stick with them as well so there's all these all these little things that you've said that to you are things you know and the things that you work on every day but to people like myself it's brilliant all these things have sat with me and I'll, I'll take them in you know I'll take these forward into everything I do because it's about you know instead of looking at someone and, and judging them looking at someone and just stepping back and trying to maybe you know hold off on that and just try and maybe understand why that situation is occurring and I think it'll make for a more inclusive and nicer society won't it so absolutely you know so thanks so much Tasha it's been amazing I've really really Thank enjoyed you. it I've really loved it uh, thanks, thanks again. Danny. No, thanks so much, Tasha. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Cheers, Danny.